Hello and welcome to the Parish Podcast of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Woodlands, Texas. We're excited to share with you Sunday at St. Anthony's, a homily message from this past weekend that we hope you'll find enlightening. Thanks for tuning in and praying with us. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. For indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we receive corresponds to our crimes, but this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Our liturgical year comes to a climax and a close with the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. Today is commonly called the Solemnity of Christ the King. It is the last Sunday of ordinary time. Next Sunday, in fact, starts Advent, a new liturgical year, a new time where the people of God are to take it and sanctify it. But as well, time where God will unpack for us throughout that time the mystery of who he is and his love. And of course, next year too, we'll end with this solemnity of Christ the King. Why? Because ultimately, this is who he is. And it's important for us to remember who he is. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the truth spoken for us to hear. Jesus is the lover of our souls and our Savior for those who will repent, believe in the gospel, and surrender themselves to him. But he is also king, our God, our king. Today, as we conclude this year and as we anticipate the next liturgical year and think of how maybe we need God, how we're going to work to make sure that Christ is more king next year in our lives with our time, what we do, we meditate upon him as Christ king today. And as well, not just meditate, come to worship him who will make himself present to us and still is tabernacling in our midst. To grasp the severity of this, let's back up a bit. In 1925, so this is a relatively new solemnity, Pope Pius XI gave us the Solemnity of Christ the King in an encyclical called Quas Primus. There he reminded the world how we, like, of that, that Christ is King, because sadly, it had forgotten. He reminds the people of God and the world that all the evils of the world that we have are because we're acting just like those who sneered and jeered and mocked Christ 
at Calvary, where mankind has cast away Christ as king, has said, we want nothing to do with your laws. Stay out of our private lives. Stay out of our politics. We want none of you as king. And this is why, if anything, we are here today as a people of God to come to worship our king when the world has forgotten him, to come to offer the perpetual sacrifice that he said, do this in memory of me so you can offer atonement so that I can reorder the world time and time and time again. And not just for the world, so that we, as we encounter him, our king, our God, and as he enters us, we may be changed. We, his subjects, we, the ones he loves, we may be changed. Not just through our meditation, as if it was something spiritual, but through our, our religious practice of receiving him as he asked and worshiping him. Again, we may be changed so that we can go out into the world and share our God as Christ, as King. Pope Pius added this as well. He said, if we ordain that the whole Catholic world should revere Christ as King, we shall minister to the need of our present age and at the same time provide an excellent remedy to the plague that infects our society. For the empire of Christ over all the nations has been rejected. The right which the church has from Christ himself to teach mankind, to make laws, to govern people and all that pertains to their salvation has been denied. Then gradually, the religion of Christ in our world came to be likened to a false religion and to be placed ignominiously at the same level of all the rest. It was then put under the power of the state and tolerated more or less at the whims of princes and rulers. Some men went even further and wished to set up in the place of God's religion a natural religion consisting in some instinctive affections of the heart. There were even some nations who thought they could dispense with God and that their religion should consist in impiety and neglect of God. The rebellion of individuals and states against the authority of Christ is what has produced are deplorable consequences. Now this was in 1925, just after the First World War. And what more would come? All because our world decided to deny Christ as King and live according to his perfect, loving, and merciful law. Now you might ask, okay, Father David, that's great that we're meditating upon Christ as King, so then why didn't we in our gospel, why didn't we get something about like his second glorious coming and when he's going to fully reign as King? Why did we get a gospel with him on the cross? To understand that more deeply, let's look at our readings. Our first is where we should start, especially as we are entering into, we're going to be entering into Advent and we'll enter in at Christmas at the vigil and we'll hear Quote, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. For a Jewish person, that is a very loaded term. And we can begin to see how loaded it is just with our tiny little reading today, our first reading. What happens there? David is approached by essentially the 12 tribes of the people, approached by the people of God, and they come to say to him, We are your bone and flesh. To a Jewish person, like, this has great significance. They're hearkening back to Genesis when Adam like, has a rib taken from him and from the rib 
Eve, who is the prototype of the church, God's people is born. David is being shown to be revealed as like a God-given spouse to the people of God. One that will lead them, will shepherd them, it was said. Will guard them, will lead them into victory. And especially through religious purity. Through offering sacrifice. Standing in the place of the bridegroom until he comes in his glory. Again, the Jewish people could see this because when they hear speaking of bone and flesh, they're again thinking of Genesis. They're thinking of like that reality that was spoken of, of Adam, who, in case we miss it because we, we don't read Hebrew, like when it says that a rib is taken from him, that word is a word that stand, is only in two places for rib. Ribs are spoken of in the, in the scriptures multiple, multiple times, but one word is used for that rib, Selah. And the only other time that word is used is when it's talking about what holds up the temple, the ribs of what holds it up. And so when it's talking about like um, the when it's talking about Adam having a rib removed from him, it's talking about how Eve will be the new temple and where Adam is to offer the sacrifice of even his body for her, so that they may be this new union that shows forth God in the world. They may show forth the love of the Trinity. This will of course set us up for who Christ is going to be. But as we have here, what is David to just recount? He's standing in the place of God. He's standing in the place of the bridegroom. He's a priest. He's an anointed king. He's a shepherd. He's one who will win victory. He's one who will offer right worship in the temple so that the people, as they await the Messiah, may be ready for him. Then Christ, of course, the son of David, comes on the scene. And who is he? One who is the son of David, who has the bloodline of David. One who is the son of God, who has been anointed like in, by the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism, one who will gather a new twelve around him, recapitulating the whole twelve tribes of Israel with his twelve apostles. He, of course, will then claim to be many of these things that we hear of David, and he'll even prove it by the miracles that he works after he claims it in very Jewish ways. To be what? Bridegroom, shepherd, Messiah, conqueror of the devil. To be one who is the king. And who, as we heard today, has a kingdom that will come. But wait, you might say, still, Father David, where is the triumph of our glorious king? Why, again, the crucifixion scene? Because, dear family, the cross is our victory scene. The cross is the throne of our great and glorious God. The church gives us, like, this psalm today to help us already begin living for Palm Sunday. Because what happened on Palm Sunday, the people of God, seeing Christ for who he is, as he rides in the donkey, are singing psalms. They likely would have sung this psalm, which was the song that would have been sung for David as he would ascend into his sanctuary to sit on, to sit on his throne. Christ, the Anointed One, is the one who comes to be crowned as king and to sit on his throne. The interesting thing is, of course, what do we find? When he comes into his holy place, when he comes into Jerusalem as priest and king to sit on his throne, what do we see? Is he crowned? Oh, yes, but with a crown of thorns. And if anything, he is declared, yes, king of the Jews, but in a mocking fashion, the way our world still mocks him today. Oh, like happy twist in a sense. 
that Christ, as he ascends the cross and is crowned like with a crown of thorns, it is there, though, that the Prince of Peace reigns. It is there that he will offer his sacrifice, that we offer his flesh on the altar and in the temple of his body to save his bride, to give his flesh so that a new mystical covenant may be ratified and consummated as he gives his body for us. This, in the midst of his suffering, victoriously on the cross, St. Dismas, the penitent thief, sees his king. The apostles, after they've, of course, received the Holy Spirit, like when God breathes upon them new life, they see not anymore a torture device, but a throne. They see their king declared as king. They see him crowned in all his majesty because this is our God. This is what he's come to do, to offer himself and to reign there, to show us that he will transform even suffering and death. He'll go into it so that we may no longer fear it, but go into it with him so that we too may reign and be with him in paradise one day. Now, why do we come here? Why do we hear all these things? Because the same mystery we encounter every time we come to Holy Mass. And that's why God commands us in his majesty every Sunday, every holy day of obligation to come here, to encounter him as king, to allow him, the priest, the king, to offer his sacrifice, to represent to us the, his perpetual offering on Calvary, to present to us him glorious and reigning on his cross so that he can what? Give us his body. Give us the blood of the covenant so that he, the king, and the bridegroom may give us his flesh and we enter into that mystical communion with him so that not only may he tabernacle with us forever and reign there, but reign here as well within our hearts. Today, as we ponder the great gift of who Christ is and as we celebrate him reigning as king, as we round out the liturgical year, we need to be asking ourselves, analyzing our lives, like in my life, in my speech, and what I do, and is Christ king? Is he treated as king in everything, in all the moments of my life? Does he reign as king in my heart, but not just in my heart, in my household, on my iPhone, on my TV, in my clothing, in my free time? Is he shown to be king in all that I do? Is he shown the, the honor and respect in all things? Do we merely just lead a life where we're trying to like not go to hell by trying to just squeak by and following the commandments? Are we trying to honor and respect our great king who is not a distant king but no comes and gets intimately close into our lives and into our suffering? Do we seek out of pondering him and his great love to love him back with everything? Again, with our lives, with our clothes, the things we do. Like when we come to Sunday Mass, are we giving our king our best? Do we wear a Sunday best that shows that we are in the throne room of God and that he is here? Moreover, like for instance today, like how many we'll see will come to join us in that Eucharistic procession? A thing that was like done by Catholics for ages upon ages that would show in our physical beings we will literally follow our king wherever he goes. Follow behind him, showing that in this life it is not ours to make our own way, 
It is ours to follow after the king into everything. Maybe something if, if maybe those who can't come. But then we can just talk about something maybe closer to home. Today, again, recognizing where we are and whose presence we are, will we, as is often and common at this Mass, I'll say, are we going to clap at the end as if we're in a concert hall or if we're saying thanks for entertaining us? Are we going to walk out in lots of speech and talking rather than reverencing our King who is here or more importantly, who's here? who's entered into us, who's tabernacled with us? Will we stay? Will we kneel? Will we pray? Will we meditate? Will we thank God for so humbly coming to us and choosing to dwell in this temple? Again, all the actions, everything we do should be for his glory, honor, love, and respect. This day, as we think and we ponder that Christ is king, like let us ponder and meditate what has to change. What has to change in our life, what has to change in this next year, again, so that Christ may reign as king more in our lives and in every bit of it. I'll close with this. For some, this is very difficult. For some, again, to, to think of how can I keep surrendering to God, especially when I have so much suffering, there's so many things going on in my life. Again, this is why the church gives us this crucifixion scene. For those who are suffering, the church is saying, focus a bit less on your own suffering and rather focus on him. Focus on our king. Focus on our cross. Focus on his love that again is, again, not distant, but intimately close. When we focus on him and where he reigns, and that he has come to get into all things, to transform suffering, not necessarily take it away, but to transform it as he enters into it, in your pain. Like as you look upon him, it's there, like St. Dismas today, who can say, like you're the king, remember me when you come in your kingdom. It's there looking upon our king that we may find him in the midst of our pain. It's in looking upon his love that we may come to know his love and surrender our hearts in love. It's there, mounted on his glorious throne, that we can again, where he's ministering to our hearts, that they can then be transformed. And we too can enter into paradise that he'll promise each one of us if we'll surrender to his great love. As we approach Advent, let us be thinking of how, again, we need to surrender to God more and more in everything so that he may be king in everything.